Welcome to the Sanity Pod, honest human stories from the front lines of startup life. Our mission is to normalize the ups and downs of creating something from nothing and the challenges common to every leader, such that we might all feel a little less alone in the journey. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. The last year and a half has been really hard, but I have to say it's been really nice that I didn't have to do it myself and I had someone else that I really trusted to help us lead us through that. Wow, that is so yeah. much all at once on such a compressed timeline. So much change, a new partnership, a new leader, and the team going through so much change as well. Today, I'm excited to welcome Sarah Koss. Sarah is the founder of Swell, maker of arguably the world's best water bottles. Sarah and I talk about her realization she no longer wanted to stay in the CEO role at the company she founded as well as her decision to eventually conduct the search for her replacement CEO openly on social media. We also explore leading a team through transition and how to find support in your own biggest questions. You're going to love hearing from Sarah. Hello, I'm Sarah Kaus. I'm the founder of Swell, famous water bottle company. Sarah, welcome to the Sanity Pod. We're so glad that you're here. And thank you for being up for coming into conversation today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I think some context on how you and I connected may be interesting. And you can edit my recollection if any of it doesn't feel quite right for you because it's been a little while. But I think we connected on Twitter as you were exploring your potential move out of the CEO role. Does that resonate for you? It does. It does. Yeah. I I actually took to Twitter asking my few followers if they knew anyone great that wanted to replace me at my company. And you were kind enough to write and say some nice things. I thought that was such a brave and beautiful decision to explore that search out loud. And before we move into the exploration of the CEO search being open, which I'm was super interested in and curious about and inspired by. I'd love to spend a little time on how it was for you to even begin looking at the question of when might it be time for me to be moving out of the CEO seat. I spent a lot of time with founders and CEOs who are looking at that question for themselves, either from a place of looking for a change in their life or a place of feeling some burnout and fatigue. And I'm curious what you'd be up for sharing about that exploration for you by a way of normalizing it for others. Sure. You know, it was it's deeply personal decision. I can't say I can speak for anyone in their journey of, you know, what's right for them. But for me, I, I knew it was time. I I love Swell. You know, I always talk about Swell as my my first child. It, the, mm. the thing that I'm most excited about that gets me out of bed in the morning that I spend every, you know, waking and sleeping moment thinking about. But I also knew that the time was right for me to find someone to help me in the journey, that I had a feeling that I was I was almost a limiting factor to our growth. And I think some of it was burnout. Some of it was just, you know, pure exhaustion from, you know, doing the thing for over a decade yeah. and not feeling particularly excited about all parts of the business. But at the same time, feeling really excited about some parts of the business that I really wanted to double down and spend my time on. And I had a bit of an insight that 
My superpower was probably better spent on the outside of the business looking out Hmm. than on the inside of the business looking in. And that could have been because of the way that I set swell up that not that I was super micromanager, but I was still running payroll every two weeks and hitting the button. I was still hitting the button. I was still looking at the spreadsheet and, you know, for 10 years doing some of the things that I, you know, possibly should have been outsourcing to others. I sort of cobbled together a role for myself that was sort of picking up pieces from, from other individuals or other departments, either because they couldn't do it, wouldn't do it, or I thought I was doing it better but I wasn't necessarily super streamlined in where I was spending my time as the founder and CEO. And so I had an insight that if I brought in a grown up from the outside world, Mm -hmm. that I could really write a job description for myself to pick the pieces that were giving me meaning and energy and excitement, but also the pieces that I thought quite honestly were better for the business that I'd be putting my energy towards that would be better for revenue, better for the team, you know, better for the mission of the business instead of having me still work on spreadsheets a decade into the journey. So I, I spent a lot of time thinking of it, but mm-hmm. then I really crystallized in my mind that, wait a minute, I have the opportunity to write my own job description. And why don't I just write down the things that I think somebody else would, I hate to say do better, but somebody else would be excited about doing. And because they're excited about it, they by default would be doing it better. Do you remember what year that was when the question started to feel pretty loud in your head of whether it might be time to look at a change? It was probably around either the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. I I had a lot going on in my life. I had a new baby at home. My husband's father was pretty ill at the time. Mm. We were traveling back and forth and I was living in Florida, but running a pretty big team in New York city and traveling back and forth every week. And I think I was probably on some, you know, late night flight from Newark to Palm beach. And it hit me (laughs) like a ton of bricks. What am I, what am I doing with my life right now? Why have I set things up this way? So I I think I started thinking about it, you know, either right before, right after holiday uh, 2018. And it was a real process to get myself ready, but to get the team ready to invite in, you know, a leader that wasn't me. Yeah. I'm really curious uh, to hear more about the experience that you had of waking up and realizing that the role that you were in was not quite the right role for you. I meet a lot of CEOs that in their head, they can picture what the CEO role either ought to be or what they would like it to be. And they say things like, I would like for it to be strategic where I'm focused on only a few key hires and where my head is up and I'm seeing long-term for the business. And maybe I've got two or three things I'm focused on each quarter where I can really help move the needle. And the reality when I meet a lot of people and we get into an open conversation is that they're feeling a very different version of the role than that. And I'm curious for you having lived through this for 10 plus years, looking back, would you be up for saying more about how the role evolved for you? And I guess the realities of the experience versus what you might've liked for it to be and anything else there that'd be helpful for others that are maybe earlier on in their journey. 
I too wish the CEO role was working on one or two strategic things that you could really dig in and concentrate on. My experience was not that at all. It was really quite messy, which sounds like a lot of the founders that you're describing in the CEO role. For me, I think the CEO role was a classic case of escalation of commitment. Mm -hmm. I started Swell more as a project than as a company. So I didn't write a business plan. I didn't raise money. I didn't have a board. And I was the first employee for the first number of years. Mm -hmm. And I think the CEO role evolved for me when I hired, you know, first the first employee, you know, up through 100 plus every day that role changed depending upon either who I was managing and how, how the business was scaling and where, or just whatever monsters jumped out at me from my email when I woke up in the morning, you know, the shifting priorities of what's burning the brightest today, whether it's, you know, strategy or finance or product or people was, it really changed me. I grew up a lot over, over the decade, but it really changed me and the role depending on the, the state of affairs of, of the day. And so th there was never any week or month or quarter that was the same, but I would say it's classic and escalation of commitment because the challenges were always bigger, but I think I was able to meet them because I was growing as the business and the role was evolving. Yeah. And I think I did a pretty good job of outrunning it for a long time. But then I think I realized that this brand became so much bigger than the company. And potentially I was the constraining factor in my ability to keep all of the plates spinning instead of stepping back and saying, you know, what would happen if I bifurcated the role? kept the pieces and, and the partnerships and the, the, the things that I'm excited about, but potentially brought in someone else to do those other parts, it occurred to me that I could have a bigger impact by letting go. I was in a coaching session with a client a week or so ago, running a, a quite a successful business. And we were just exploring the evolution of his time as a founder. And he said something along the lines of, I, I got into being an entrepreneur for the freedom, envisioning that I'd be unlocking this life of freedom and flexibility for myself. And I'm six years in and things on paper and financially are going very well. And I feel like I'm living in a prison. I'm curious what that brings up for you and how that compares with your experience. I, I love that quote. I wouldn't be as strong to say living in a prison, but I would definitely say that comment sits really well with me in that you do start a business for the freedom. And then you very quickly realize that as the leader, you are working for everybody else all of the time. So it's not really freedom. It's, it's really stressful all of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. a lot, you have a lot more freedom when you work for someone else because you can close hmm. it down at night and you don't have to carry the burden of the whole thing with you all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that resonates for me as well. In my own exploration of looking at the way that the experience of being a CEO was comparing to what I had hoped it would be, 
and my own experience of burnout and fatigue and even beginning to ask the question of what if it might be time for me to move on or could I move on? It brought forward a lot of complex emotions. One thing I hear often from CEOs is this question of where they might find their value. And in the earliest days of a business, their value being a lot in the doing And then as the role evolves and the team is doing more of the work, their sense of value shifting, and then an an even potential larger or more difficult shift coming up as they look at letting go of the role. I know that was very present for me. I'm curious how that was for you as, as you were on that flight back down to Palm Beach and thinking about making a change like this, what it brought forth for you. You know, for me, I wanted to keep close to a couple of things. I think Mm -hmm. for me, it was the team and culture Mm -hmm. more important than the actual doing of where I felt, you know, I was valuable in doing the work. I think that was one of the things that was really important to keep close. And then the second area that I felt that I was really providing the value is in the external relationships. You know, Mm -hmm. I hate saying being the face of the business and the company, but that's really what it was. It was really in, and I think still today, it's really in thinking about the value that I can bring and do bring to the business by thinking of the strategic or tactical sometimes partners that we can and should have. You know, thinking about, you know, my North Star is sustainability. So thinking about Mm -hmm. Who are the companies that are either doing the most good in the world because of their sustainability plans or on the other side need to do a lot better because of the waste that they create and Mm. thinking about how Swell can be a solution to working on those opportunities and those challenges Mm. where I don't know that anyone else in the company would be as valuable and or have the power to say, okay, we're changing strategy and what we're going to be doing now is X, Y, Z. And we're going to be, you know, committing resources and time and energy to these partnerships and collaborations, which are great for the company, but are the places that I felt the most passionate to put my energy. And I, I think that's what really freed me up and made me feel excited about the transition out of the CEO role, because I realized how much more I could do if I wasn't shackled to reading every spreadsheet and being in every operations meeting and checking out the inventory accounts and all of the things that you have to do to run a consumer products company. And I wasn't really getting that much joy and energy out of after a decade. This may be a good point to note for anyone listening that there's a there's a great how I built this that you Uh, participated in that shares a lot of the story of Swell from inception up until perhaps around the time that you were on this flight and would highly recommend that. Very much enjoyed it. Maybe we pick up there if you're up for it and drop us into what it was to be on that flight and realizing that a change might be necessary and, and what happened next from there for you. So a funny thing happened is I thought it was such an important search that I went about it all wrong. You know, I, I, (laughs) I sort of forgot that, you know, I have a really great network and I should probably talk to people. And so I did the, you know, the very cloak and dagger. I didn't tell anybody at the company. I hired a really great search firm. You know, I started having secret secret Mm. interviews with people and it didn't work. It it was a complete Mm. failure. I spent all of this money and all of this time and I literally couldn't find the right person. And then um, it was actually through a journaling exercise that I had a little conversation with myself. And I realized that I needed to admit failure and ask for help. I first talked to my leadership management team 
And I was really nervous about that conversation and it went incredibly well. The team was so supportive, really understood where I was coming from and asked how they could help. And they Mm. said, you know, do you have a job description? Can we put something out? And it sort of dawned on me. It occurred to me that if the team was willing to put it on their LinkedIn and their Twitter, and I hadn't done it myself, Mm. you know, and so, and the funniest thing happened was I actually found the CEO through a Twitter posting, Mm. a banker that I had met at some conference in the past saw it. He then found me on LinkedIn and lo and behold, we found the great person who's our CEO today. But again, I don't know if I would have trusted the process if I hadn't had the failed process of doing it the right way that turned out to be so wrong. But I think it was also me needing to have the time and space to really get comfortable with where we wound up to. Wow. I was so curious about that when I when I saw the tweet and then we started chatting. It's interesting to hear the backstory. For me, a big theme of exploration in my time in the CEO seat and one that I hear many times from others is this question of how much I need to keep the struggles I'm having or the questions I'm holding in my own head and solve them in secrecy or what can I invite into conversation? And we have a funny mutual friend in Jerry Colonna And he was a huge force in my life of forcing the question of what would happen if you brought way more of this into the open questions you're holding for the business struggles with growth, fundraising, hiring your own journey. And when I read your tweet, uh, and then eventually we realized that we had a common connection and Jerry that felt unsurprising for me. And I was curious if um, your conversations with him were a part of that. It's really fascinating to hear the backstory there. Yeah, Jerry has been such a gift in my life in so many ways and has really helped me embrace the messiness. Mm. And I, I would say in the early days of Swell, I was such a perfectionist that I wouldn't even admit to myself when things mm. weren't going well, much less to anyone else or ask for help. And yeah. now I, I lead with, with the knucklehead decisions that I have made and the problems mm-hmm. that we're having and the, could you believe the thing that I did? And I think it really helps humanize <laughs> myself and I think the, the business and I think it just makes people more comfortable with the conversation instead yeah. of, you know, having, you've been in these conversations, you know, how are things great? How's the business? Amazing. You know, no one's going to benefit from any of that. And I think what, yeah. what Jerry has really allowed me to understand is that all businesses are hard. You know, leadership is really hard and it's, it doesn't scale. You know, you're yeah. always going to be learning and you're always going to be challenged and you're, you're always going to be making some kind of wrong choice, but like, how do you learn from it? How do you embrace it? And how do you show up in the world with others and have those real meaningful connections and conversations that benefit everybody. And so I certainly have learned a lot, but I think the, one of the biggest learnings is just to get over myself and just to show Mm. up, just to show up and, you know, not, not worry about everything being so tied up with a bow all of the time. If you can put yourself back in those earliest years when it would have felt incredibly risky to be so open, are you able to be in touch with what felt at risk? I think what what felt most at risk in the beginning was probably my identity. And it's silly to say because it's a water bottle company, like get over yourself. Mm. But I think it was 
the classic, get good grades, go to a good school, get a good job. Your whole life has to continually be getting little gold stars. And I think I was so afraid of publicly saying that I was going to do a thing that didn't work, even though it didn't matter. I mean, if, if the company failed, I mean, who cares? I would have wound up with, you know, a bunch of water bottles I could have gifted to my friends and family, and I could have worked on my resume and gotten another job. I mean, it wasn't like I was going to, you know, wind up living in a van down by the river. I was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But I think I was so afraid in those early days of failure or not success that that was sort of the driving force that kept me from being really honest about the challenge that I had and the things that I didn't know. And my background was in accounting and finance. Like I didn't know anything about a consumer products company. Like I could have gone so much farther, faster if I had raised my hand and said, I don't know the first thing about most of these things that I'm doing instead mm-hmm. of just struggling in silence and making a bunch of mistakes until I figured it out. Mm-hmm. Could I invite you into coaching with me for a moment? Could we coach together? Sure. <laughs> um, I, I can picture in my mind two, two clients, um, both of whom I adore, who are very talented female founder CEOs. And one theme that I can, can identify shared between them, and I'm wondering what you might speak to here, is um, this question of what would it be for me to take what's inside in secret and to let it out? What would it be for me to step fully into my strength and who I am uniquely and not try to be anyone else's version of a leader? And could I let go of protecting the things that maybe I haven't even spoken that feel at risk if I begin to do that? Because my sense when I sit with them is every hour they step into that is just fucking awesome. For them, they seem energized. It seems to me that it is probably inspiring and profound for the teams they lead. And yet it's very challenging and feels very risky. And I'm curious what you would share with them. I mean, I would share with them to try to live in that space as often as possible. I would say that my team sees me show up now as my whole self. And I see them show up in a different way because of that. And I don't know if it's because for the most part, we've been together for a long time or because this pandemic has been so hard that we've gotten really comfortable with the messiness of life, the kids and dogs and plants and pots or whatever we see in the background. I just think that showing up in your whole messy self is so rewarding for each other and for the outcomes. Like if there's anything that you could say to these coaching clients of yours to make them feel comfortable or give them ways to test it, you know, maybe not showing up hundred percent if they're at 10, but there's gotta be ways that you can get comfortable with testing that out over time, feeling the feedback, and then realizing that you can get a little bit closer to it mm. and time again, you know, rather than just one day hitting a switch and coming in as a different person. But I would think that with testing over time, even in a short period of time, that they, hopefully that they would get such positive feedback from them that they would be encouraged to even go farther the next time. Any way come to mind of a of uh, constructing an initial test? You know, if they could find somebody, you know, maybe one person, two people on their team, even if they're more junior, I know it's lonely to be the leader, but be really honest with what you're trying to work on and Mm. see if those individuals have 
ways that they could help push you forward. Like, you know, I'm looking at working on this. Can you keep an eye on me in this meeting? Or, you know, can you give me some feedback? You know, can you help me think about it? I think it's just really nice to feel like you're not doing it alone. Like if you have one or two people within the organization that you can really talk to about, this is what I'm working on. And do you have ideas for me? Or can you give me good positive feedback if you see that I'm being really open? And can you let me know if you felt that I have had a, a canned answer to something and I, I could have gone deeper. Of course, you have to open yourself up and you're going to be a bit vulnerable by doing that. But at the same time, even just inviting somebody into the process is part of the test, right? I do feel comfortable in doing that. Like you feel comfortable to admit to someone on your team that you're not a perfect human and you're, you're working on getting better. I mean, that's signaling right there. Yeah. I love that. And I'm brought back to your story of experimenting with opening up more of your journey and more of your inner self to your team and seeing how they responded and the impact on the culture. And then even the humanity of your noting, when I got to a pretty big change of looking at replacing myself as CEO, I kind of went back to the old way and I handled it all in a dark cave by myself. Only to realize again, anew, that that was not the way and was actually not going to be very effective. I love the humanity of that. I tend to be very hard on myself when I find fancy that I'm making some progress on something only to wake up and realize that I'm once again doing it way in the old way. And the story of your team rallying around you, I'm brought back to something that Jerry would often say to me, that if I would only treat my team like adults and like allies... They just might respond like adults and like allies. And that sounds like what happened very much for you. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you're stepping into bravery, opening up the exploration to the team, opening it up on LinkedIn. And from there, at some point, you arrived at finding a person in whom you felt the trust to hand over your baby, as you described it. And I'm curious what that was like. And I guess for a lot of people listening, it might not even be a question of handing over the CEO role, but handing over other key parts of the business or inviting in others into leadership or new board members and exploring for themselves. How do I know if I can trust someone? How do I identify which people are worthy of my trust? How do I vet them? How do I invite them into partnership? And I'm curious what that was like for you. It was a bit awkward in the beginning. There was a lot of energy and everyone was excited for the change, but you can imagine a boardroom where I'm sitting at one end and I'm normally making all the decisions. And then we've got this new guy that no one really knows yet. And then someone needs to make a decision on something and they all look at me and then they all look at him. And then I look at Mm. him and like, well, this is what I normally would do. What do you think? You know, so there was a little bit of this awkwardness in the beginning But we had to have a sense of humor about it too. At a certain point, I had to say, I trust this person and I brought this person in for a reason. But I also wanted to make sure that he had the backstory to every decision and at least understood how I would have made certain choices or decisions, but honoring him and his experience and say, okay, well, knowing what you know now, what would you do? And very early on, I realized we had a good relationship and he really was taking my feedback and experience, but we certainly had a couple of moments where I had to trust to say, listen, this person has decades of experience and I've brought them in and I'm going to trust you to how to do this. Now, a curveball happened five weeks into his onboarding. We closed the office due to COVID and there wasn't any of that sitting next to each other in 
the boardroom anymore, but it was, you know, seeing each other over, over Zoom. And it was a huge transition for the company because we were a very in the office culture. We didn't even have video conferencing or Slack before we went home on March 13th, 2020. Mm -hmm. And so here we are working an entirely new way with most of our sales channels closed with the CEO who had been in the seat for five weeks. Um, So that transition was not what he signed up for. And it wasn't what I thought was going to happen either. So it was really challenging in that the communication was even harder to give all of the tacit knowledge and soul of the company that I felt that I was carrying around in me Mm. to him at the same time that he is leading us through a challenge like no other and a team that's never worked remote before. So the last year and a half has been really hard, but I have to say it's been really nice that I didn't have to do it myself. And I had someone else that I really trusted to help us lead us through that. Wow. That is so much all at once on such a compressed timeline, so much change, a new partnership, a new leader, and the team going through so much change as well. For others that are going through their own versions of such change, what grounded you? And as you look back, how did the team find their way? And what did they most need through all of that? I think we found our way by using all of ourselves, really. I think we used a lot of humor. I think we used Mm -hmm. a lot of humanity and a ton of conversations. It's going to be cliche to say, but I actually think we're closer now than we've ever been before because we've seen each other in such a different way. Like we've had to be really open about work-life balance and leaving the computer and being able to take care of yourself and your family and and everything that's going on in your home and in your life while you're trying to work. And so Mm -hmm. like so many businesses, we were fine. Like we were really productive. We were more productive than I ever thought was possible without being in the office. I was the one that was kind of a jerk that said, oh, everybody should be in the office all the time. I don't want anyone working remote. We're a consumer products company. We, we make things. You have to be in the office to make the things. It turned out we didn't need to be in the office at all. We were really productive. But I think what we lost in the early days of working from home was the laughter, the fun, the humanity in being together. And so we pulled the team together and we've set up a bunch of different norms and ways that we work and ways that we try to take off of work to be whole people. And I think because of that, we've really been able to get through it in a different way. I can say that it has been incredibly strange to pull the team together to have these really meaningful and hard conversations and be on mute because I'm not leading the conversation most of the time. Uh, Now I can agitate for the conversation. I can help set the agenda for it or say we even need to go there. And I certainly can be a participant in it, but it was a really strange crisis for me to not leading the team through the crisis, which sounds weird. Like, as I just said, I'm so happy I didn't have to go through it alone, but I alone was going through the transition of not being the one to take us over that hill, which felt real weird. I can imagine. Today's episode is brought to you by Pluto Pillows. In all of life's little ups and downs, sleep is perhaps your most important ally. Pluto provides a personalized pillow directly to your door. The only irony here for me is that I loved my Pluto pillow until my wife stole it. 
and now she loves it. Personalized for me, but no longer mine. Well, still a win for the family, I suppose. Check out PlutoPillow.com. All orders receive free shipping and a 100-night guarantee. Today's episode is also brought to you by Sanity Labs. Sanity Labs provides founder and executive coaching designed by founders for founders. If you have considered hiring a CEO coach but had a hard time finding one who really knew what it felt like to be in the founder or CEO seat, be sure to check out Sanity Labs. Sanity bridges leadership development with actual tactics for company building to ensure you are not alone in the hardest parts of your role. Visit sanitylabs.co for more details. Reminder before we return to the episode, if you have any questions or topics you'd like covered in an upcoming episode or any feedback at all, please email us at questions at the sanitypod.com. And now we go back to Sarah. How did you know that you had found the right partner? And how did you, as you were in that weirdness, how did you sustain and build trust as COVID hit? You know, I knew I'd found the right partner because I found someone that had successfully taken over a number of founder-led businesses as the first external CEO. And as much as I think every business thinks that they're a special snowflake and they're unlike any other, um, I do believe that about Swell. And what I really liked about Hugh, who's our CEO, is that he seemed to honor that and understand that in a kind-hearted way. And it wasn't just looking at the business in, you know, what do you make? What do you sell? What are your channels? Tell me about operations. It was really thinking about the heart and soul of the business and why it was special. And he had shown me that he had successfully done that a number of times. And, you know, in reference checks and talking to entrepreneurs that he had worked with in the past, had such a great reputation with them that I felt really comfortable in knowing that I needed to trust this person and feeling that he had earned the trust of other founders along the way that made me feel really comfortable. Now, that being said, I rented an apartment in New York for six months so I could sit by this gentleman's side and pull you know, a chip out of my head and put it into him so he knew everything that I knew about the business. Wow. And I think I stayed in that apartment for 10 days only because COVID hit and I went home to Florida and the rest of the time we've done it over the phone and we've been just fine. But even in that moment of thinking, how do I get him up and running? I felt that, you know, we needed to physically be together and I just had to transition and and obviously do it in a different way because we closed the office. Yeah. What do you think Hugh has most needed from you to be successful in his role? You know, I think really understanding the unique nature of a purpose-driven business, I think is new for him. And I think it's one of the things that he, if you asked him, I think he's probably surprised in that he is enjoying the most. Hmm. I think being a purpose-driven business, you know, Swell is a B Corp, you know, on a mission to to save the world from single-use plastic and waste overall. And we've attracted a very different type of professional to work at the firm, at the company. We've attracted a different type of consumer. It's sort of the glue that holds all of us together. It's the X factor. It's the magic. It's all of the words. It's something that you don't get from a business school case. It's something Mm -hmm. you don't get from Mm -hmm. experience of running a whole bunch of different companies. It's sort of special. And I've really enjoyed spending time with Hugh and 
I guess, helping educate him on sort of why all of that matters. And he really gets it. I think it's been fun for him at this point in his career to see that there's like another gear that you can go to that's not always in your business playbook that happens to be something really good and why that's not just really good for the world, but it's good for the business too. Yeah. He's a brave man to step into shoes like yours and to step into a culture that's been experiencing 10 years with a leader who's become increasingly open with herself in her own journey of leadership and invited people into that and built a very mission-driven culture. There's a lot of bravery all the way around on this chain. Right. That's right. I mean, because, you know, if anything goes wrong, it's his fault. If it goes well, it's, it's I, <laughs> I take credit for all the success, right? So the poor guy, but you know, he's got a great sense of humor. So we, we've become friends through this whole thing. Yeah. I'm curious for a moment to return the conversation to your time with Jerry. In my transition from CEO to coach, I speak with a lot of leaders who are exploring coaching support for the first time and what that may be like or may not be like. And I'm curious how it was for you and anything that you'd want to share with your earlier self. Sure. My earlier self didn't need a coach because my earlier self had it all figured out. Mm. Funny enough, the way that I met Jerry is I had two people in my life recommend Jerry almost at the same time during the same week. Somebody Mm. in California and someone in New York happened to have no one that I'm super close with, but happened to have meetings with two different people over the course of a week that both not only recommended that I needed a coach, but I needed Jerry specifically as my coach, which made me stand up and think, okay, maybe I should meet this guy, but I don't have time for coaching. And, you know, that's like a nice thing to do when you don't have your hair on fire. You don't have 10,000 things you're supposed to be doing. Like I'll become more evolved as a human when I have time later on. But right now I'm running a business, right? You're smiling. Because that, that, mythical, that mythical future date when everything calms down and revenue just grows and I'm very organized and I have free time. Yeah. I have free time and hobbies. And, <laughs> you know, so I really didn't have time for coach. And what I would love to go back and tell my future self is, wouldn't it have been nice to have Jerry or a coach in my life when I was getting started and could have really helped me. I hate to say not make so many mistakes because I would have made just as many mistakes, but could I have learned from them? Could I have been more open to asking for help? Could I have learned from the other, you know, experiences of not just the coach, but the coaches, you know, clients, I didn't have to do everything myself the hard way multiple times and learn from it. Like I could have really had someone in my corner that was not only helping me, but helping the business look around the corner and say, you know, this is what you're thinking about now, but six months from now, you're going to have a much bigger problem if you don't solve X, Y, and Z today. And if only I had had that earlier in the business, I would have been a little bit more sane. I think I would have been a lot more gentle and comfortable with myself, realizing that every business has problems and it wasn't just me making the wrong hire or, you know, not making the right inventory buy or something. But I think it would have made me feel just a lot more comfortable to know that I didn't have to suffer alone, that I had someone in my corner that could help me think through it and make me feel better about it. Yeah. Can I ask a self-serving question? Yes. What is the best advice that you could give me as I grow as a coach? 
given your experience on the client side? I would say, don't be afraid to give personal advice. Hmm. I know that Jerry oftentimes, he's a coach, he's a really good coach, but he doesn't want to give me personal advice. But every so often he'll say, I'm taking off my coach's hat. And I'm just going to tell you, this is a thing. And sometimes I think that's okay. And it's, it's really needed. I'm, I'm really stubborn. Like I'm incredibly stubborn. And sometimes you can be too coachy Mm -hmm. and, you know, you make the same recommendation over and over again. And sometimes you just need someone to kind of take off the coach's hat and just whack you in the head with it. So I would say every so often, maybe (laughs) it's okay to give just a little bit of personal advice, even though I know that that's probably not what coaches are supposed to do. And what do you mean exactly by personal advice? Instead of giving a framework for thinking about a decision, sometimes it's really nice to say, well, if I were you, Mm. I might lean in this direction and here's why. I think sometimes those frameworks are really helpful and that's the hard work that you're doing to build that scaffolding to be a better person and to be a better leader. And I'm not saying to skip doing that hard work, but I think as a coach, sometimes you just have such a great perspective because you are up on the balcony looking down Mm. the situation that it's so clear sometimes to say, you really should be going in this direction and not that one. I know you don't want to do that as a coach, but I think sometimes it's just nice to have a little bit of direction in addition to the work that you're doing to allow your coachy, is that what you call them? I don't know. The person sure. coachy, yeah, that works. Coachy, I, I don't know what that word is, to, to find the answers themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, as coaches, we're trained to come with the belief that the client has the answer and that what they really need is a partner in exploring the question. And I also, that said, I'm brought back to advice that a more experienced coach gave me as I was just getting started. And I asked him a similar question about when he gave advice. And he said that he tried to always do whatever to him felt most helpful to the client in the moment. And I thought that was a very brave stance because it's easier to just have black and white rules. I'm going to take your advice, Sarah, and do my best. I feel like we could have a wonderful conversation over a glass of wine sometime off uh, recording, just sharing experiences and working with Jerry, because what a beautiful and revelatory and strange experience to share. Just as you were sharing the moments where Jerry says, I'll take off my coaching hat. I was having so many flashbacks of myself just like leaning in, so excited about what he was finally going to say next and tell me what the fuck I should actually do. Yes. And just wishing he would leave that hat off more often and just give me the answers. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for normalizing that. (laughs) Well, I look forward to meeting in person for a glass of wine. That sounds fun. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Uh, I have one more topic that actually wasn't on my initial list, but if you're up for it, do you you have a few more minutes? I do. It's actually about sustainability. If that'd be okay for us to check in on. It's one of my favorite topics. Awesome. It's a frequent topic in, in, in our home right now. And I know it's shared for other entrepreneur friends and I have a feeling for others in tech even. And it goes something like this. My son is getting really curious about global warming and what we might do. My wife and I feel like we're at a point in our careers where it's feeling like we're good and have some breathing room. And there is this looming and present threat. And then we look around at our peers many just bright, resourced, educated people. And it feels like we're not doing enough. It feels like there's such a a shared opportunity for collaboration and effort. 
my question is, given that this is an area you've thought about a lot and you are an entrepreneur and a founder, what guidance would you give? Where do you think the opportunities are? And, and where's the starting point for people that are looking to get involved? You know, I, I think it's such a big problem. I mean, if you've read the UN report that came out this summer or any newspaper or anything, it, it literally is the biggest problem of our day and we're not doing enough. But I think the problem is in getting started. Any of the statistics are so overwhelming and you think, okay, I'm just one person, you know, what am I going to do? And you shake your tiny fist and then you go back to whatever you're busy doing. And, but I do think now more than ever, people are having those conversations in their household, like you are with your wife and with your son and your daughter, sorry, my son. Um, And I think we have the son and the daughter so far only the son talks. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So I think that because people are at least waking up and having the conversations that we're starting to see entrepreneurial energy in the space, investment in the space, and people are starting to get started somewhere. I personally think the path forward on making step change on this issue is in partnership. It's way easier to think about joining forces and aligning resources to go farther faster. I think you're going to start to see some really strange bedfellows and some of the partnerships and and collaborations that happen, you know, amongst industry and in different places, because I don't think anyone's going to be able to solve this ourselves. Mm -hmm. Me personally, I started a new venture during the last year and a half in my free time. Now that I'm not a CEO, I'm calling it Groundswell and it's my version of SaaS. It's sustainability as a service. And I've been working with a lot of really large multinational corporations on this question because almost every company has put out some really lofty ESG goals of we're going to do X by year Y, but they don't really know how to break that into micro steps to get there. And oftentimes there's some challenge why it's impossible because it goes against what they make, what they sell, you know, it's not tied to the mission of the business. And what I'm finding is that me thinking like an entrepreneur, but Swell being a small, scrappy company can go into a lot of these big organizations and say, let's really think about creating a platform for consumption instead of just switching out this plastic bottle for a reusable metal one or thinking about your supply chain, carbon offsets. And yes, all of that adds up. But what I'm finding is that the partnerships that I'm having with these big companies and then the partnerships that I'm seeing that these companies have with others, I think that's what's really going to push us forward, but it's going to take some really creative, critical thinking and smart people working on it. But it's the getting started and not feeling overwhelmed piece that I think is going to be the catalyst for lots of these small initiatives to become really big, powerful forces for change, because this will be my legacy. You know, hopefully my son will listen to this, you know, someday in the future and think my mom was working on this. But I think all of us have to be, you know, regardless of what we do or how we do it, have to be thinking about the environment because it's all we have. (laughs) It's all we have. So and I can go on forever about it, but I think it can really be overwhelming. And I don't think that it has to be. I think it's just you know, getting started somewhere and being creative in the efforts. Yeah. I've been working my way through Bill Gates' book on climate change, which has felt like an incredible place just for getting to ground truth for me. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere else that you would point people that are looking either to get informed or involved today? 
that's a great question. I was, I've read that book too. It was excellent. You know, I really like the climate newsletter that comes out from the New York times. Hmm. I find the reporting to be excellent and there's all kinds of really good links to dig in and get more information. It's probably a pretty easy, it's a really easy bite-sized way to get, you know, some kind of news every week and not be completely overwhelmed by it. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you. Have we missed anything thinking back to your earliest days or the most challenging days and the person who's listening, who is in the midst of their own and they're feeling alone and frustrated and questioning whether they should have ever been an entrepreneur, if it's ever going to work, things are ever going to be okay. Have we missed anything that you would want to share? I would just say, be gentle and kind with yourself. You're doing one of the hardest things in the world and it's really lonely, but really give yourself a pat on the back. Know that you're doing something that very few do because it's so darn hard. Put one foot in front of another. You've figured out plenty of things in the past. Whatever challenge you're having today, you're going to get through because tomorrow's challenge is going to be bigger and you'll be ready for it. So keep going. Mm. Sarah, thank you so much. It's been so much fun to be here in conversation with you. And I'm very grateful for your time. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. And thank you for this podcast. I think it's really helpful. Yeah. Thank you for helping create it. That's today's episode. Please follow and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your positive reviews mean the world to us. Lastly, if you have any questions or topics you'd like covered in an upcoming episode, please email us at questions at the sanitypod.com. Thank you so much for listening.